Regal Movie Masters. Unlimited. This is the Regal Movie Masters Unlimited podcast where we indiscriminately watch every goddamn movie that comes out at the local theaters. Uh, this time around, we got a doubleheader and, and some change. A Fablemans and Bones and All are what we're talking about. Your movie masters today are Justine. Hello. Brent. Hello. Dylan. What's up? Because he's coming in hot. He's Real coming hot. in hot, everyone. That's how you know it's going to be a good app. And I'm, I'm calling. All right, so... <laughs> First up, we got uh, Fablemans, uh, Steven Spielberg's, I assume, semi-autobiographical yeah. uh, story about his upbringing and a family, whether they are real or not, called the Fablemans, and it takes place in the early 60s. I guess it spans time, right? It's late 50s, early 60s. Okay. An entire adolescence of a young man is covered in this film, and... Um, I liked it a lot. I, li- I, I found myself strangely affected by this film. Saw it twice? Yeah, I did. <laughs> I was happy to. When the fuck did you find time to watch it a second time? <laughs> uh, like uh, yesterday. <laughs> oh, so Justine, you've seen it recently. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, so, yeah. I didn't even know you went to go watch it again. No, like we watched, <laughs> it, we watched Devotion after it, and that was my second movie of the day. <laughs> The first being Fablemans. Two long movies. Yeah. <laughs> Fablemans didn't seem too long, though. You know, I, 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 it really changed my perspective on filmmaking. Are you ready for this? Mm-hmm. Okay. So I think possibly like as a result of sort of being a little grounded in 70s movies as my metric for what good movies are, you know, I think uh, I look to like realism in dialogue and presentation as the pinnacle of serious movie making you know like when dialogue feels natural i'm like oh this is a real movie and when it seems kind of silly and movie like i'm like oh this is a silly movie <laughs> the dialogue and everything in this is very movie like it's very actorly yeah. it's like you know old hollywood yeah i think you only really see that now in bad movies or like tv of the week i associate that kind of tone of like <laughs> I got a problem. What's your problem? You know what my problem is. Like soap opera. Yeah, exactly. I just can't do it. You have to do it. I believe in you. You believe in me? Yes. So I, I'm like, okay, I'm watching like, you know, a Hallmark film or something when people are talking like all actorly like that. And then, you know, if it's more grounded and toned down. It's like, oh, this is, this is art. But I think this movie really champions that style. And I think what happens is I watch movies that do this bad. <laughs> and so I'm like, oh, this is something that bad movies do. Is they, it's, it's melodrama or whatever. But when you watch this movie, I, it's like there's just so much conviction behind it, both with the actors and the directors, that it's like, oh, no, this is just a stylistic choice. I get the sense that Spielberg feels like, like movies should be different than real life. They should be bigger they should be more dramatic it's almost like you're describing amblin entertainment movies i apparently i never really connected it yeah, yeah, yeah. if like, you go back you'll you'll notice yeah, yeah i was just you know i i associate like e, like et and stuff like that is yep. just like part of my youth or whatever and like he did the indiana jones movies mm-hmm. and stuff and i figured always figured those were like time pieces or their genre exercises you know so they have to be like that but yeah i think this guy just thinks that movies should be like this and I kind of uh, respect it, or I guess I respect it when it's well done. And I, I think this was like really well done. What else did he has he done that's not so like geared toward a younger audience? Oh, uh, I mean Schindler's List. Okay, well that's different. Yeah, I know. Right, <laughs> that but, one. Um, yeah, not but so I much. It seems more like a cartoon quality of acting. Very like yeah. animated. Uh, really simple. That's what. It feels like, like it's for a younger audience. Yeah, but I think that, like the old Hollywood style and all that kind of comes from the stage, you know? And I actually was noting that a lot the second time around watching it. A lot of the ways the characters were standing in relation to each other and stuff was like a stage play. And like the someone who has a dominant point over the other person will be standing and the other person will be sitting down. And, you know, real again, what uh, you would see in like movie of the week, melodrama, like someone turns their back on a person and puts their head in their hands and it's very dramatic. But that's 
that's a, a theater. And I think this is a reflection of that style more. I also was thinking, like you were talking about how it's kind of like a stage play where, you know, people don't cross in front of each other or whatever. Right. But that's kind of like filmmaking 101 or theater 101. And yeah. that part of the movie is about, you know, the kid learning how to do this stuff. Yeah. And then there's that scene at the end when David Lynch tells him, you know, like, uh, the horizon on the top is good. The horizon on the <laughs> bottom is good. The horizon in the middle is boring. Now get and then, the fuck uh, out of my office. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then you see the camera like later and the horizon is in the middle and it's like, oh. Then yeah, it, like, just shifts. really quick. Yeah. That's the last shot awesome. of the movie. Yeah. So you're kind of seeing it the way that he is learning it. So it's probably very obvious that it's being done in a style that seems like 101. A meta commentary on yeah. the craft of filmmaking? Mm -hmm. Interesting point. <laughs> I didn't like it as much as I think you wanted me to like yeah, it. Yeah, I'll admit I have a weird soft spot. I was annoyed kind of by how one-dimensional the characters seemed, especially the mom. I don't know. She's like, she is the version of Manic Pixie Dream Girl that this like little kid is uh envisioning right and then the dad is just super calm super nice you know good at his job trying to take care of his family never does anything wrong and it's just like okay these are these are these are one note characters it's the sisters who are just kind of there yeah you know there's the uncle who's a quirky uncle that comes in oh that fucking he comes in like a goddamn tornado yeah, that's one of my favorite parts when he's like, you've never seen a person grieve before? Rip your clothes and get on the floor. <laughs> but uh, there's like the bullies and then there's the girl, uh, his girlfriend. Yeah. That whole Jesus stuff was, it was kind of funny, but then it was kind of like far. Yeah. It wasn't like she had dimension. It was like, here's this weird thing about this girl. So that's why I was wondering how autobiographical is this? Because all these people seem very fake. That's what I'm talking about with the cartoon quality of it. It's just everybody's very one note and things are happening quickly and like i get it but it's the same way that i wouldn't be you know invested in a cartoon <laughs> like, yeah I, I i'm not invested in this except for the interesting part the only thing that rang true to me and that was enjoyable was him making the movies and it's just like there's this group of kids and they like to do this he's really talented people are amazed by like how he figures out how to do stuff dealing with school and like kid stuff that was all right. And then once you get into the adult stuff, it gets really flat. And I know that, Colin, you were trying to tell me, like, well, that's kind of how kids remember stuff. I buy or into something. that fully. Yeah. yeah, like impressionistic, I guess. I think this movie's so stylistic that I kind of can appreciate that it's like, okay, well, they're, everyone's acting weird and the time is moving weird and the characters are weird. You know, I think they found a tonal consistency to where it doesn't seem flat like you're saying or maybe there's just a momentum to the story that they're telling where you kind of forgive maybe the bluntness of it all. Let me introduce this notion to you because I, <laughs> I think I saw something that, that wasn't readily apparent to you and that's, um, they may have even covered this in the movie, but when you are an extraordinarily talented director like him i think the way that his brain is wired is not to go too deep oh yeah he has the talk with uh uncle boris about the life of a, an entertainer or somebody that you know you probably remember it better like when when, when he's talking about the hardships family art and he make crosses yeah, make and, X, okay. like an yeah, X, yeah. and then he just tears them apart it'll tear you apart yeah so when you're a naturally born artist you are not going to look upon your upbringing, your adolescence, and even parts of your adulthood with as much attention to detail or nuance because you're you're still constantly honing your craft. And so you don't lend as much dynamics to the things outside of the craft itself. That was a device to illustrate that. But then again, that device goes back to a lot of his early movies. So Yeah, that's the where the you can't in this case, separate the art from the artist without thinking that it's just it's kind of uh, wasted time. <laughs> because it's autobiographical, it's about all the aspects of him growing up. But it's like them spending that much time on, um, you know, like the, the woman dancing in front of the car. <laughs> it didn't add stuff to me. And you can kind of tell, I don't know anything about him, you know, 
But it's like, wow, he was a mama's boy. <laughs> right. And so that's yeah. part of why I didn't like that the dad is just so docile. and. Well, I will say, in counter to the father being like a perfect father figure, if he had his way, we don't get Steven Spielberg movies. <laughs> I mean, his flaw in the movie is that he's constantly chipping away at the kid's craft. He's still helping him do it. Buying him the stuff. Right. He loves he's his He's not son, being, ultimately. you know, yeah. yeah. And he's yeah. not like not yeah. allowing him to do the but stuff. But I wouldn't say if I was a craft, like a true saccharine kind of father, I, would, I wouldn't be writing him backbiting you'd be his making stuff. Negging too, the son. You'd be making too one note a character. This is like a perfect yeah. dad in that he just wants what's best for his son, what he thinks yeah. would be best for him. And what he considers success, you know, is like... You move around, you go to where, you know, you can you can make the most impact and where you can right. really get people to understand what technology can do and how it can improve things. This is really what he believes would be good for his kid. But he, he did, did they, he, he was so focused on his work that he was kind of dragging his family around into situations where they weren't really having but a good time. But he was also telling them the whole time, it's up to your mother. I'm not going to move you guys around if she doesn't want to. And so she was just like going with it. They were in California. No, no, they were in uh, New, New Jersey, I think. Okay. Jersey, well, they're somewhere Arizona, with California. Seth Rogen. <laughs> yes. And then they moved to Arizona with Seth Rogen. Yes. Which she is down for. And then they moved somewhere else, and all she wants is for the guy to be able to come with them. Goes but he doesn't. California. Yeah, to California. Yeah. She's okaying all this stuff. So he's not really dragging the family around. She's just kind of going with it and then being sad about her mistakes. <laughs> I think there was enough flaws in the character of the father to make it not complete leave it to Beaverland. Yeah, and I think there's even the scene where he, I think they're in the kitchen, you know, like after like the separation, right? Where you had Spielberg and the father are in the kitchen, they're kind of having a talk, and the dad's kind of confessing somewhat to, yeah, I could have been a better husband, you know. He was so in love with her because she was something that was novel to him. And I think really he's just lamenting that he couldn't be the kind of guy that would get her to stay. Yeah. I mean, he also, not that he didn't think okay. he was being a, a good guy, but it's just like he understood that that wasn't the Could, match that couldn't he... Couldn't contain her. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so that's why he's sad when he sees her having fun at a barbecue, you know, a picture. It's a bummer for him because he's like, well, that, that guy will never be me or he'll never be that guy. Right. I see what you're saying with like the, the flat characters but i think because there's such like a subplot of like cowboy movies and genre films and the good guys wearing white i think there's an acknowledgement of that approach to sort of point out like yeah i'm telling this kind of flat story to where i don't think it was a shortcoming so much as it was a stylistic choice justine do you like the movie back to the future i do yeah <laughs> I felt like when I was watching it, I felt a lot of parallels to that, like just in terms of, you know, especially like the, the adolescent part. But so that movie's funny. <laughs> okay. So, yeah. Yeah. So that's what puts it over the top that it was also funny on top yeah. of like. I think it's also maybe there's a lot more structure as far as plot in Back to the Future. Maybe that's kind of where this movie falls short for sure. you. Is it's not like we got to do this thing. And while you're on the way to do the thing, you can have bad guys be like, Hey, I'm a pirate. Uh, don't don't do that thing. You don't expect yeah. that pirate's life to be fleshed out because it's the film is so focused on going from point A to point B. Mm. Whereas this film isn't so much a point A to point B unless point B is post education <laughs> and point A is like childhood <laughs> and like yeah. the plot in between is your parents get divorced. I don't know. Like <laughs> the characters are written in a way that you would see in an Indiana Jones movie where it's like, come on, Indy, we got to go. Yeah. <laughs> like, Except there's not no, <laughs> no MacGuffin to get or no like end plot. Yeah. And I don't know, maybe that's kind of where I, why this movie stood out so much to me because it wasn't like a super linear plot, but it acts like it is. <laughs> it's acting like there, it is acting as if <laughs> there is like death star to be blown up and there's princesses and, aliens to introduce and it's going at that pace except it's just a kid growing up in his wacky ass family yeah you know i think i appreciate the pacing and stuff being kind of tied to childhood memories mm -hmm. the way it's like this happens and that happens and this happens 
it is justified in the sense of it's kind of how you remember shit as a kid. It's like, we lived here, and then we lived there, and then there was this guy. I had this weird interaction with my uncle. Like, I feel, I don't know exactly how hard and fast the autobiographical portion is, but I felt that the medium was suited to this recollection of childhood memories the way that it was. And I think this movie really did a great job of conveying the sense of being like emotionally out of depth as a kid. You know, I've seen a lot of movies like stand by me, let's say where it's like, we're coming of age and we're kind of in over our heads in terms of what we're seeing. We're being exposed to stuff that maybe isn't appropriate for kids. I grew up watching a lot of movies like that, but I think this movie Maybe instead of having it be like dead bodies and, you know, fucking pirate treasure ships like in Goonies or some shit. It's like just weird emotional family drama. What was your take on the, uh, the, the high school girlfriend? Yeah, you don't think of like your, your romantic entanglements in adolescence and your memories of it. You don't reflect on it by, you know, oh, well, here's this whole totality of a person and their whole human being. It's just like, what the f- fuck was that <laughs> i appreciated that this yeah, person yeah, yeah, yeah. just grabbed me and took me someplace and then i was involved and and yeah i proposed marriage what the fuck <laughs> but <laughs> like, so much happens in that you know what i mean like in those yeah. moments where like yeah like you feel completely out of control but so much happens that guides the rest of the journey like he got that really nice editing right, uh, right. machine out of that you know and right, you know, right. Like, okay sure yeah. yeah again you're just a little bit out of sorts emotionally you're in and over your head. I, I picked up what he was putting down. I think he did a good job conveying his experience as a kid, and I related to certain elements of it. And I don't know. I, I, after seeing it twice, I'm fully in. I appreciated this film. You, uh, it actually was pretty hard and fast yeah. due to his childhood. Uh, they had a monkey? <laughs> I don't know about that. See, that's what I'm talking about. <laughs> See, that one, maybe, maybe not. But uh, yeah, like uh, Seth Rogen is on record saying that Spielberg was often crying on the set oh, a geez. lot. Hey, man, uh, cheer up. Uh, you doing okay over there? Like, do you, do you, hey, boy. Hey, hey uh, I brought you a, a Donkey Kong. Uh, anyway, um, yeah, like, uh, you know, because so much of it was his actual childhood. Yeah. And so, yeah, he was breaking down a lot, which maybe speaks to what you're talking about. Like, like kind of like it's him having to reflect on his his childhood and it, it brought out a lot um the cast also had access to spielberg's home movies photos and personal recollections yeah. both before the filming and then during so i mean he he allowed them to do a deep dive while he was also doing it yeah so yeah if, if that's what you pulled out from it i think that's a pretty astute observation on your part and even if it wasn't necessarily like beat for beat uh the life like or even if you don't just take the autobiographical part out of the equation it's like a very interesting portrayal of a family like a family dynamic there's one part and like i'm i know i'm dominating the mic but i'm excited about this film anyways i caught this the second time around when the mom's mom is dying and they're in the hospital right, right. you have the dad the engineer type the riddler he's looking at the a heart monitor thing, just making little beeps, you know? He's looking at the machine. The mom is, like, inconsolably, like, curled up on her mother's body as it's dying. And um, the kid, old de facto Spielberg, is just looking at the pulse on her neck. The pulse stops, and, like, the kid realizes it because the pulse stops on the neck and the lady dies. You know, he's looking at it from afar. The dad is just, he's mechanically minded, so he's looking at the machine. And the mom is like, oh, is she doing better? Her eyes open, (laughs) you know, because she's like just all kind of intuition and emotion. And uh, just to have a small tableau like that, you kind of learn everything about this family dynamic. And it's interesting, again, taking away the autobiographical element, like just to have a kid be interested in film when his dad is the, the fucking, you know, all technology hemisphere and the mom's all artistic and creative hemisphere, and this kid is, and like film is the perfect blend of that, right? Because you're mm-hmm. dealing with technology, you're dealing with reverse engineering effects and stuff, and you're also telling stories and, you know, getting to the core of human emotion. And um, again, you take out any semblance of reality uh, in relation to the film, and all that stuff rings true, even though it's so fantastical, both in how it's told and like the actual events that happen. 
Again, I'm smitten. I'm smitten with this film. <laughs> Dylan, you're quiet. Uh, when I was watching it, it was probably like one of the worst feelings I had. Like, like my body was like, like <laughs> giving out. Yeah, uh, I noticed that you sat in a corner of the theater by yourself. Yeah, I, I, I thought maybe you didn't like me anymore. No, I was legit. <laughs> okay. Like, you guys, I'm gonna have to like sit here just in case something happens with my body. I like throw up, and so like I was just going in and out, reading my notes. I like can piece together what was happening in the film and like what I remember. But uh, uh, let's just say, everyone, I was not enjoying myself. You can't talk about your notes without giving us some you notes. the notes now? <laughs> the Fablemans, November 27th, 2022, 1.19 <laughs> a.m. All right. I don't feel good. <laughs> Why did I get popcorn and soda? Man, I feel like absolute shit. I might actually throw up. I'm trying to lay down in the chairs. I'm in so much pain. Rigor mortis is kicking in. I'm gonna die. I'm gonna die during the Fableman. Fuck. <laughs> I really don't feel good. I think I'm hallucinating. Fuck. I might actually throw up. I think I am crying. Am I crying out of emotions or do I have like the chills? I don't even know what's going on. He's making a movie? <laughs> Why did I get popcorn? I passed out for a second. What happened? I wake up and the guy from the Will and Grace is the PE coach for some reason. <laughs> Shit, I fell back asleep. He's dating someone now? Fuck, my head is spinning. Quote, life's oh. nothing like the movies, unquote. Spielberg. Does he say that or the bully says it? Shit, I the think bu- the bully's like, hey, life's not like the, the movies. And then he goes, uh, but you still got the girl. And then he flips him off. <laughs> the kid flips him <laughs> off. See, Good is, movie. <laughs> yeah, see, Spielberg. Spielberg lens flare. <laughs> Is that Steven Spielberg without facial hair? <laughs> oh, it's David Lynch. He had to talk for me to realize that. Man, I feel like absolute shit. <laughs> I like this movie. Five out of five. <laughs> <laughs> that was like the, the, the funniest line I thought. He's like, you know, watch yourself, Fableman. Or we're not going to be cool anymore. And he's like, don't tell anybody. Oh, yeah. Tell that anybody cried. that I got, got emotional. Upset. Oh, yeah, that I got upset. Yeah, unless I make a movie about this. <laughs> a wink. <laughs> I, it, Fred, am I crazy? Am I the only? I, I feel like between Justine's indifference and Dylan's delirium, am I crazy for like? I don't this think movie? you're crazy at okay. all. I think like for the, yeah, for the reasons you cited, it may have been made for you. It's weird. I because uh, no one wanted to see this movie. No, I didn't want to see the it trailers. At all. These are bad trailers. Yeah. I think they should recut the trailer immediately <laughs> on this movie. But I don't know what the hell you do because it's just a story about a weird ass family. I think you maybe, yeah, cut it more toward the family aspect than the filmmaking aspect. Yeah. Although I will say that the filmmaking aspect was cool. Super as cool. Hell. Yeah. That's, that's you post the holes part. in the thing. Easily. And, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. The whole scene where they're filming that uh, war movie. Right. And you're seeing how they're doing like awesome. the landmines and the grenades yeah. and the blood packs and stuff. Even the part where he gets all gets that kid to get emotional. Right. You know? Right. The whole process is a cool aspect of it. Or the yep. stagecoach where the, the dust is. Yeah, <laughs> and she's like, no, no more dust. <laughs> that fucking kid is such a good actor. Truly I- suffering for art. <laughs> yeah. So this movie, it, it, it actually goes, like the concept for it goes back to 1999. He originally wanted to call it I'll Be Home. Um, and the only reason it actually happened is because of the lockdown, you know, COVID era. Um he sat down and actually started writing it. It's actually uh, Spielberg's first time taking a crack at a screenplay since AI. Oh, Ooh. fuck. I forgot about AI. Decades <laughs> that back. shit was off the fucking rails. There you go. There, see? see, that's where he, he needs to focus on a mortal life. Because I th- feel like, uh, you know, the stretch from a childhood to adolescence is coverable in a movie. Whereas the span of millennia and the intervention of aliens is maybe a little bit too far. Yeah, I, I, I honestly, I don't think that your reaction is overblown in any capacity. I think a lot of people that went and saw it, like in my circle, it's the same deal. They're like, oh, God, we're going to see Fableman <laughs> like oh my god that was really really good i'm yeah. like yeah it wasn't it <laughs> strange yeah I, I, didn't, I didn't anticipate it at all um david lynch spielberg is just a massive lynch fan in fact like he wanted to direct season two episode one of twin peaks and okay just vied for it vied for it and lynch is like no i got this yeah <laughs> so in order to get lynch in the film spielberg went to laura dern who he directed in you know all the jurassic right, movies right. 
and said, hey, you're tight. You're tight with him. Do what you got to do to get him. <laughs> and so Laura Dern just kept calling him over and over and over. And eventually Lynch just said, well, I, I, my one condition is that you have a lot of Cheetos on the set and I will Stop be there. It. <laughs> I'm a quirky man. Yeah. Second, I'm an unusual fella. Yes. And uh, his, uh, his only other thing was he wanted his suit to be sent to him a week before filming so that he could break it in. So it looks okay. like he'd been wearing it All right. for a while. Appreciate that. It's pretty cool. The other thing to note about this movie is it's probably one of the last two collaborations between Steven Spielberg and composer John Williams. The yeah. next one will be the next installment of the Indiana Jones series. But uh, yeah, Williams is going to focus on writing concert music at this point in his life. All he's right. he's going to be 91 in February. Jesus. Time to step back and yeah, yeah, do yeah. what you 100% want to do. Spielberg's got, of course, got other projects that he, he's doing and he wanted Williams involved. He said, and Williams said, the hardest thing in my life is to tell Steven Spielberg no. <laughs> yeah, I know. You know, after all these years of making gold <laughs> together. Yeah. All right. I think we've talked about this. I've talked about this enough. So, uh, uh, Fableman, are we, how many candles on the menorah are we lighting <laughs> for the Fableman? For me, it's a, this is, this is nine and we are uh, going to have, we're going to have eight crazy nights with the Fableman. Uh, I say light those candles. Justine? Out of eight. How many can- <laughs> yeah, you could have an extra one. You need to light the candle to see the other candles. Ah, I see what you did. Yes. Yeah. Um, I'm going to give it five candles. Okay. You know, Respect. there's still parts of it that are kind of cute. And like I said, the parts of it where they're making the movies is uh, is cool to see. I think without knowing stuff about Steven Spielberg or knowing that this is about him, you're not going to get that much out of it otherwise. Interesting. I'll go the full eight, but in the uh, incorrect order that they were in the film. <laughs> Minor detail there. but oh. yeah. Uh, you know, shot well, looked great. Uh, I'd go eight. <laughs> Almost died. Eight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well uh, acted. So uh, next up, we have a also a period piece, a coming of age period piece with a twist. We have a uh, Bones and All, which is directed by Luca Guandagnino. Yeah. Uh, he, uh, <laughs> this is the same guy. He did the Suspiria remake. He did um, Call Me by Your Name, and this is a movie that takes place. An arbitrary year in the 80s. We're not going to get too pedantic like one does and try to figure out why there's a Fugazi shirt present. We're not going to do that kind of thing. <laughs> it's somewhere in the 80s, and that's fine. This gal uh, played by Taylor Russell. You, wh- what did you say she was in? She was in the Escape Room movie. Tournament that's so tur- fucking hard. Tournament yeah. of Champions. She's also in Lost in Space, which I actually really like. Okay. So the t- the TV show? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, just well, so you like know, Netflix. this is her uh, third movie in three years to feature a poster where the lead characters, their foreheads are touching on posters. <laughs> the other two <laughs> are words on bathroom walls and waves. All right. For those so, scoring at home. And and uh, Paul Atreides, right? Is it Paul Atreides? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, T. T- Shals, uh <laughs> just holding it down. And a goddamn world-class performance the show stealing mark uh rylance yes as sully yeah um so i i don't know how to talk about this film without saying there's like two equally loud flavors happening at one time (laughs) this is like like uh garlic bread and sour patch kids like (laughs) just very distinct flavors the very like pensive like pretty people in their late 20s to early 30s pretending to be 16-year-old teenagers or 18-year-old teenagers. She does make a point of letting yes. you know that she is exactly 20 times in this movie old. she says she's 18. Yeah. Um and anyways, she's, you know, 30 or whatever. Anyways, adults playing teenagers looking way too pretty for any teenager to look and staring out windows a lot and staring at each other uh, sitting in fields yeah this That's important the, like uh, an aggressively a24 toned modern coming of age romance and a fucked up like stephen king-esque lore filled world of like quasi vampiric cannibals mm. and um it's a it's a it's a cannibal road trip movie <laughs> Yeah, and uh, these 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 crazy kids are falling in love because they meet each other and they both have this cannibalism disease. That's yeah, and that's they, why they fall in love. And they just uh, start start munching people, 
<laughs> and uh, meeting other munchers. They're crunching and munching. This is a number muncher reboot that we needed. Um, yeah, I, I I think I walked away liking this movie, ultimately, you know. Um, but uh, God damn, was this just odd seeing... Because it, it's not unusual to see this kind of take on like uh vampire movies right like yeah. i mean i'm always i'm i one of my favorite movies is martin from george romero which is the ultimate like vampire movie that isn't a vampire movie and um what was that fucking movie we saw recently it's raw the following oh like a kind of art house someone who thinks they're a vampire high genre art house twist on vampirism basically the transfiguration the transfiguration <laughs> god damn it yeah that's a it's a very niche subgenre but there is um i think precedence for this kind of retooling or retelling of a horror element you know that isn't played as horror it's played more as you know art house cinema have you ever seen badlands from 1973 Okay. I've heard great things though. Yeah, Badlands classic, but it's also like I watched it a couple of years ago and I was like, kind of dated. You know, yeah. I, I, I feel like it could use a, a, re- a refresh. And I think this movie was that refresh. Granted, they added the cannibal vampire aspect. Right. I, think, I think that's what it needed for modern audiences versus, you know, what Badlands originally was, which, which was just a romp around the middle of the country between two teenagers falling in love and going on a crime spree. Right. So yeah, that you kind of like replace the proper crime spree with, you know, devouring human beings. Yeah. And uh god, this is almost sacrilege, but I feel like the love story ended up being better in this movie and than in Badlands. Yeah, than gotcha. in Badlands. Yeah. You know, when you said it's like kind of like that A24 looking at landscapes yeah, and yeah, you know, yeah. looking out windows. It's more Badlands to me than it is A24. Okay. Yeah. I loved the lore of this. I felt like a kind of a Stephen King story where it's like you're learning about this world as the characters are learning about this world and you're running into crazy fucks left (laughs) and right. And like, I I was fascinated by that. I love that sub sub genre that I'm talking about. And I like this approach to horror. Uh, that I'm talking about. Um, I, God, I'm I'm sorry. I'm just a fucking. I am. I'm getting to this bitter old man phase. Uh-huh. I don't give a fuck about teenagers. Period. End it there. <laughs> Anything having to do with coming you of like, age like, or off high my lawn school. Shit? I just I don't fucking care about your feelings. As a, if you're uh... if you're if the character is like. 18 you're not your brain isn't formed yet like this isn't interesting to me i love that you're taking this turn this is great i'm down if it's like you know goonies or something like yeah Yeah. we're a bunch of kids and we're on an adventure fine fine i'm not teenagers fuck them i I mean teenagers in love i'm just a regular ass fucking teenager and i'm having regular ass romantic interests i don't give a fuck so that part of the movie i don't know i'm just it's boring to me. <laughs> yeah, but they do enough to. Sure. Yeah, to, that's to the other shit. It. It's yeah. the other stuff yeah, yeah. that's going on that's yeah. that I'm engaged it's in. The Sour Patch Kids that you're engaged. Yeah, in. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I like. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's why I said like Badlands is kind of aged out. Because yeah. now when I watch it, I'm kind of like, eh, it's kinda where's boring. the fucking Sour Patch Kids? Yeah, where's the Sour Patch Kids? Yeah. <laughs> it's so on the nose of like a coming of age romance movie. Yeah. Like it's so that yes. that you need something that is way left field yeah. to break it up. And it feels fresh. Yeah. yeah. The combination of the two, you know, very grounded, um, well-tread storytelling yeah. and some wacky shit. And they're both going on in equal volumes. I don't know. It was a unique experience. I, I, I appreciated it. Dylan, did you check this movie out? Yeah, uh, this is the same day I saw Fablemans. Somehow I you saw, saw it before. I saw it like an hour. <laughs> it's such a fucking sick doubleheader. I saw, I Whoa. saw, I saw Bone and All, and I was yeah. like, fine, I was okay, but I was still like kind of cold. Right. And then I went in my car with the heater on and ate like a dinner that I brought in a lunchbox in yeah. my car. Because I was like, I have to be back here in like 20 minutes to watch the fucking thing. Listen, you think we just call this shit Regal Movie Masters? Like we're putting on airs here. Listen to this guy's story. Look, this is this is our yeah, life. This motherfucker is in the trenches yeah, here. I'm dying in the car with yeah. the fucking heater on. And I'm just like, fuck it. I have to be back here in 10 minutes to watch another three hour movie. <laughs> and I already, I already don't feel good. So I'm just going to try and eat hot food and go back inside. So I'm like, wa- I watched Bones and all fine. But like started to pass out towards the end. <laughs> and uh, that's my experience with that movie. I've done double headers. 
but I've always made sure that they're like more like hour and a half, you know, a piece. I didn't realize you did two of the longer <laughs> movies we've seen all year. Yeah. Well, maybe tomorrow. not 10 minutes exactly, like 30 minutes in between. I feel <laughs> like you're a little more, by a little more, I mean, just tolerant at all towards like coming of age stories and like. Love them. I don't know, romance, teen romances. Love it. Is it fair to call it that? Yeah, you like that kind of stuff. Okay, I don't. I'm just. I don't like teen <laughs> romance. But, I don't know. Uh, fucking. What I, I, I like Some those. I do. like. I like anything. I love love. You know. Okay. I love love. I, I, I like. I, I'll. I'll. I'll get with him on this and say that I like seeing representations of that era in your life if you had it. Where. Oh. Um, yeah, you could. You, you would. You would have those powerful emotions uh-huh. way out of proportion with how they should be. And then before you become a bitter old man, you know. But you, you, you like that stuff more. Was this did this ring truer to you? Uh, you know, like I, I like the little twist they have with the cannibalism. Honestly, it was more it was more of a romantic comedy drama than it was a what you would call horror. You can call it gross out, but like, you know, as a cinema file. Yeah, cinema file. I've seen so much like <laughs> what would you call it? Gory films that like it didn't phase me. I just was like, okay. Nice little twist. I get it. Yeah. Just give me love. I want the love parts. <laughs> Whoa. Why More is there, love, less less. Why gold. is the mom there? Don't even have... Well, have the mom make her like, hey, I love you, man. That's cool. That's <laughs> fine. I'd rather have... You the, want less conflict. The, the mom says, I love, I would love you, man. I would love no conflict. <laughs> I would love the conflict being maybe the relationship's a little rocky at some point, which it happens in this film, but <laughs> just give me the love. I love love. What'd you think of uh, the Mark Rylands character, Sully? The braided hair guy? Yeah. It's Sully. Um, he was cool. <laughs> you know, honestly, I, I, thought, I thought there'd be more of him. I think they probably used the right amount. Like, I was Interesting. Like, yeah. I, 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 would, I, I kept thinking I'd see him like, oh, he's at the fair. Oh, he's at the this and the that. Yeah. But he shows up in the beginning, is gone for like the entire second <laughs> act. It was and a, then shows up like right at the beginning of the third act. <laughs> so I got a question for you. Kind of what they did with Pearl. Should they do a Sully movie like before this one? Does it take place in the 30s? <laughs> sure. Because it is in the 80s, not now. So you would want a Sully movie in the 30s? I would like yeah, I wouldn't mind it, I guess. I don't, I don't again, I didn't like It's a yeah. strong character. Like I think yeah. you could carry a movie if you wanted it to. He's cool. I do feel like I was watching the less interesting characters in this world when I was watching these two run around and I would I'd be down for like a bones and all cinematic universe. Oh yeah, let's go. I want to give me a world where social media exists and these fools can link up and have conventions. Kind of like that uh you, you know, like remember the Sandman where they have like the serial killer uh-huh, convention. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Shit like that is always works for me. Okay. Yes, I'm going the other way. I want modern and I want You want to go the other way. Yeah, I want a current year. But you can't, you can't have Sully then. I don't care about Sully. I I like just love the creeps. Okay. Give me some new. I have faith in their creeps. If it was if if Sully was the only good creep, I'd be like, ah, oh, they were that was a fluke. Oh, you think we're gonna get some new creeps? I want some new creeps. Wow. All the creeps. That okay. fucking cop who was like a groupie for the cannibals. That shit is fucking. Banana oh, that's uh, David crazy. Gordon Green who directed Halloween Ends. They spice those motherfuckers in for two minutes. Yeah. Like I said, they this is they show you this just a glimpse into this world. Yeah. And I am into this world. It's, it's a less is more approach. I get it. Yeah. I respect the choices. I'm not mad at it. But man, I just throw me into this world of creeps. Give me a give me a Friday the thirteenth, the series, where it's just every week is a different creep. Little 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 tales from the creep zone. <laughs> did you uh did you guys like the music in this one? I have a sad story. Oh, I have a sad announcement. It's a sad one? It's sad for me. All right, hit me with it. Uh so I was like, okay, like the the if you watch the movie, the soundtrack's yeah. like 80s music. You know, there's like a New Order song. There's yeah, 80s, your silent face. New, 80s kiss. Um, Look it up. Yeah. Enjoy the vision. Just walk away. Oh, that's right. Atmosphere. Okay. So that's playing, right? And like in my mind, I'm like, okay, there's only there's an 80s soundtrack. That's fine. The very end. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't think about who was singing because I don't really listen. <laughs> I didn't think about it because I don't listen to the band yeah. of this guy's. I don't listen to anything that he puts out. Okay. It starts playing as an acoustic guitar, yeah. And then I just hear a voice. I'm like, "Oh, it's like it's like okay song. I don't know what the fuck this is." Yeah, the song's called "You Made It Feel Like Home." I thought it was some deep cut song that I just never thought of before in my life. And then like I'm sitting through the credits and it goes, "Trent Reznor, you made it feel like." I'm like, "Oh fuck!" 
I got, got rezzed. It's not like I went in my car and listened to that song ever again, but I was more or less like sad that they didn't end it with a an 80s song. <laughs> they, All right. they, they made it end with a Trent Reznor song that okay. made me went, oh, this is cool. I had to just double check my mind. Because I like the soundtrack, not the a score. That, and then, that, that, yeah, like the score is like the original uh, material made for the movie, which yeah, they did. What a do ton. they put the? What do they yeah. call the songs that are just put in? And then the songs that they put in—that's just they're considered like needle drops or sinks. You're too insider industry. I have, <laughs> there has to be a better word for it than the sinks. whole thing. Well, and then like yeah, I guess I mean the music, the music, <laughs> the music. The the hey, go with needle drops then. Okay, if you want to be. Anyways, cool. the score, the proper score, the not yeah. New Order songs. Uh, it was really good. I thought like all this sparse uh, guitar yeah. stuff was really appropriate, and it made me really realize that Trent Reznor just needs to shut the fuck up because he does have a good musical mind. I fucking hate Nine Inch Nails because I like a lot of like Nitzer Ebb and yeah. KMFDM and shit. Like I like a lot of stuff that's like Nine Inch Nails, but Nine Inch Nails is atrocious to me, and I think it's just because that fucking guy, the whole fucking like I wanted everything like again talk about having no interest in teenagers that's like a teenager who happens to be in his 50s just (laughs) singing (laughs) galaxy brain i can like step away from like my personal taste and be like wow that's really impressive and uh and yeah so i think if he just shuts the fuck up and you know does like sparse electronic stuff Mm -hmm. sparse uh acoustic guitar stuff there are elements in nine inch nails music that i like but i realize it's completely trumped when i was a part of you like when that kicks in i'm like i can't remotely take this seriously so yeah the score was great but again it was just a little too like i'm singing and this is a song and it's a serious song you gave me your bones and all You eat my body alive. <laughs> I have your teeth marks in me. And your teeth gnashed in my soul. <laughs> I can't do with yelling voice. I can only do I was a... <laughs> that's the only that's better than the yelling if voice. If I have to do the yelling voice, I'm yeah, out. Yeah, I can yeah. only do... <laughs> Steen, you're, you, you, what, was he, what do you got? Well, you've, been too, you've been too quiet. Um, I agree that it was too many movies in one. And... <laughs> <laughs> I'm kind of bummed like they could have done something really interesting if they hadn't made it a love story like just make it two teenagers or whatever young adults who meet up and they're both kind of new but one of them's mm. a little better at it like a Thelma and Louise sort of deal or right, something right. like that where there's not that romantic aspect it's just about yeah, people make Tim- finding she, out if Timothy Chalamet's a girl yeah uh, and they they just yeah the dynamic is different it's yeah it's just two kids trying to figure out the world and oh. this new stuff that's happening to them you know and... what it becomes mm-hmm. the far superior road trip movie uh wizards starring uh <laughs> yeah dude <laughs> <laughs> and they go instead of they go to play super mario brothers 3 at universal studios mm-hmm. fred savage like, right yeah fucking a along the way and they have this conflict you know of like one of them wants to do one thing and one of them wants to do the other but they still are friends because they have sort of grown up together or something trauma bonded yes and that makes more sense to me than forcing this romantic aspect of it because it's not romantic they're just two people who happen to be in the same place at the same time they're not in love right like they're just there circumstantial yeah and so it it, you don't buy that they can't live without each other because they're in love it's just no they just are like attached not in a romantic way but they're pretending that it's romance you know right they just don't want to be alone and so they're together it's not romantic so it should have just been two people who are becoming friends because they're in the same situation so when they have conflict you're having an issue with your friend not like uh oh they can't be together because he ate his dad or whatever right. just yeah. like there's just a friend of yours and you don't know that much about him and then they tell you and you're like man that doesn't matter to me we're right. we're pals i'm so with this and it's a it's a casting issue because if you have timothy chalamet's pretty ass you're not going to believe that a teenage girl is roaming the countryside with him and not having some romantic fling so do you think that's why they tossed in the allusions to drug abuse <laughs> so like he has a flaw that that justify her walking away i mean Walk away. I just think if they have it, you have two pretty people. They're gonna start fucking each other. But if you make them, yeah, just make them two girls. Make them two boys. Just have it be like a platonic friendship. Again, I'm not gonna buy that you have a 
boy and a girl that age well, I traveling was around and that they're not going to fuck. So I get that part. I was hoping the scene after the carnival when or the scene at the carnival when he's like eyeing that carny. Yeah. And then when they go in the woods or the whatever, the corn, I was like, oh, this is OK. He's gay. That's that. That, that fixes makes it this. a good movie. But then it doesn't because then they like backtrack on, on all that. Yeah. And I'm like, you could have gone somewhere interesting. I'm with you, you know? so much on this. I never I, I was. See, this is I'm this is, this is why we need collaboration, because I'm thinking just ah, leave it all out. Yeah. Just show me cannibals. Just make it a 90-minute movie with people eating each other. But no, you're right. They should just be platonic friends. Yeah. It's the romance part. That doesn't, yeah, it doesn't work. Yeah, they should have rogue one it. Yeah. But I did like that there were um, like little things that were kind of little hints of stuff. Like when she first meets Sully and he's like, come on in. He's like, I smelled you from the yard. Yeah. And it's like, okay, but it's the middle of the night when I was in, in the yard. And then they go inside and he's all, it seemed like you were, you were hungry. You know, um, I found these birds in the freezer. It's like, what do you mean you found birds in the freezer? You don't really think that much about it, but it's right. like, what do you mean he found birds in the freezer? And then she's like looking around and it's all uh, decor that is not matching this yeah. guy. She's like, who lives here? And you realize that he just wandered into this, this woman's house and that's why he didn't know what was in the refrigerator. You yeah, know? all the technical elements as far as like how they shot everything and mm-hmm. it was like amazing. Like I thought that was so well done. Tasteful. And um, something that I realized early on and then I was trying to like watch for uh is that everybody like all the vampire people the cannibal people have like a a blemish on their on their face all right. so like mm. she has like a little discoloration that's maybe like a birthmark and then chalamet has a scar on his face sully has a scar on his face mm-hmm. the backcountry guys you know out right. there they have scars the mark, too yeah, yeah everybody yeah, has a mark i think on, uh yeah like chloe seven gear whatever yeah. she is too and that part is a. Uh, less interesting than it should be also yeah um the, it's kind of like a throwaway line where she says she ate her hands and it's like can you do that can you <laughs> eat your hand where did she eat her hands sure, i thought for sure. a moment in that part that they were gonna say that her dad was actually the um yeah the, the cannibal and i think that was another missed opportunity that right, would have right. made that more interesting and so maybe he ate her hands and she was like oh no yeah oh no yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but so yeah yeah there were like parts of it where i'm like man you guys had something and then you you know you dropped the ball or you wrote around it to try to fit in this other thing and i think they yeah it was a missed opportunities but overall it it was cool like the cannibalism stuff and like you were talking about the lore that you just kind of hear about here and there that's neat but all the sitting in a field a lot of that is really annoying and i liked his sister right right the cindy lopper yeah yeah, yeah. that was cool it's funny you mentioned the cornfield and it reminded me of a text my dad sent me i don't (laughs) think he's aware that we're doing a movie review podcast (laughs) but he sent me a random movie review and it Gave me insight as to maybe how I look at films and I'm kind of mad about it. I'm going to read it to you. He says, A Quiet Place, the dumbest movie ever made. Corn in a silo doesn't swallow people like quicksand. The monsters are blind and attack what they hear, yet there is AC electricity. It's day 472 in attack of the audio killer monsters, but there is a stand of tall green corn about 100 days since planting in perfect rows in a 40 plus acre field. Only cerebrally challenged city people could make such a ridiculous movie. My dad lived on a cornfield when he was a <laughs> child. Bit, that so, is a, that is yeah. a, I'm sorry, Brent, but yeah, that, is, that is, yeah. You know, this is your, I inherited uh, it, didn't I? Uh, you need to like in, uh, 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 internalize this uh, lesson because uh, like that would be your review of The Quiet Place. Corn doesn't grow like that. Yeah, that would be. Yeah, but what about like the cinematography and the character development and the, guys, corn, okay, here's a, here's the thing with corn and silos, okay? <laughs> Let me show you. I have I have created a diorama featuring a, uh, a the, the perfect ratio of core and two silo. Now watch what happens when I put my finger there. See that? It doesn't sink. I rest my case. This movie's bad. Boom! This movie sucks dick. <laughs> okay, so bones and all, are we are we taking a bite? Are we sinking our teeth into this film, or are we uh, gonna go? Uh, uh, vegan and get a plant-based alternative. You could eat it bones and all. Remember when they were like, yeah. they Which were is like, so did fun. you ever eat, well, I don't know what they call it. And they're like, what? They 
when you eat the whole body, bones and all. Yeah. <laughs> That's so cool. And I, I love that there's just people who just make shit up. And this is why, like, the first Hellraiser movie is, like, one of my all-time favorite movies. Because you get a glimpse into this fucking world. And that's all they give you is this weird little keyhole look into this fucking strange universe. And like, of course, if you're all like spread apart, different regions are going to have weird fucking cultures of yeah. doing things. It's so well, so well done in that regard. But anyways, are, are we seeking our teeth in? Or are we going plant-based? Me, I'm, uh, I'm taking a big old chomp. I'm chomping <laughs> it in. I'm hunched over. I'm taking a, taking a chew on this one. Ew. <laughs> I, I don't know, because I, I would not want to eat a person. Do you understand the exercise? <laughs> I do, we but I wouldn't really want to say that. I know, but I think the good one would be the plant-based. Yeah. No, they can't do that. They would die because it wouldn't be substantive to oh. your cannibal needs. Yeah, they you're hungry. You're no, hungry they weren't flesh. like, it's not like vampires where they can't eat food and they have to drink blood. It's like they can eat food. They're eating pancakes or whatever, and yeah, but they want they have a craving. Yeah, yeah. that's what it is. Yeah, they, they have a craving. Like, hey, I'm hungry, and then they ate that carny man. Yeah, so it's like you just don't eat it. So anyways, um, did you like it? <laughs> but yeah, I liked it. Go watch it. <laughs> <laughs> so when they uh, quick note when they were when they were filming this movie, they were filming in like really you know kind of bombed out and depleted places. They're filming right, right. in Cincinnati, and uh, the crew kept getting robbed. Uh, to, to to the point where the city of Cincinnati had to like throw down. I think it was like 50k plus just to like kind of solidify the production so that people couldn't <laughs> couldn't uh, get in and steal everybody's stuff. Um, so yeah, I would I would I would throw down uh, for extra security on this one. You know, yeah, I enjoyed it. I thought it was acted well, shot well, and directed well. Uh, I, I'll give it a chomp. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So. Our third and final period piece of this episode, <laughs> we're doing a film called Devotion. Uh, this was a true story about Jesse Brown, a Navy pilot, is in the Korean War, and he was, I assume, the first uh, black Navy pilot, and uh, he was celebrated, and uh, this is his, his story, as told from magical Caucasian uh, Joe Jonas, his <laughs> loyal friend. Um. Yeah, I uh, I hated this film. <laughs> I really didn't like it. I don't want to take up too much time. Damn, hate it's, is a strong. No, word. it is a strong word because I think I I think you any portrayal of war or a war movie like a war film, if you are doing anything other than showing it as just a complete unrelenting hell like of trauma and torment and gore and misery, it becomes propaganda. If you're showing a war film and it's just a bunch of buddies hanging out and hanging out in Paris and becoming brothers and comrades and bonding, you are making propaganda. And this, to me, is nothing but nationalistic, uh, imperialist propaganda. And you know what I was thinking of? Is that movie uh, Dunkirk. Did you ever see that? Remember I was like shit-talking the trailer forever? Well, because we saw the trailer forever. forever. Yeah. <laughs> we kept fucking showing the trailer. That's what I remember. I watched that movie um, like randomly but that movie's amazing and it's like i don't remember anything about it That's as far as Nolan, right? yeah yeah i don't remember the characters i don't remember the plot i just remember basically two hours of walking through trenches of dead bodies and gore and like brutality and trauma and it was like Okay, that's a responsible war film <laughs> that is like kind of showing the reality of the matter. This shit is, I don't know, I feel a little, a little candy coated for my taste. I, I, I'm, I'm actually offended. Like, I didn't realize this. I can, watch, I can watch all these, you know, off color humor and gory, violent movies and be fine, but I'm really offended at like, I don't know, promoting this kind of thing. It, it really leaves a bad taste in my mouth. And there's a way to do it, of course. There's a way to do it. You basically make, you know, Apocalypse Now. You make, like, every, you know, kind of classic war film. I think when you just make, like, wow, flying these old planes is cool. Look at them do loop-de-loops. It's like, that's fucking propaganda. There's no other way to put it. No. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, 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 soapbox off. You guys can say well, that. Well, I will note, it. <laughs> the, same, the, the same dad that hates, uh, you know, disrespecting corn. Uh, when he retired from the Air Force, the first thing he told my brother and I, he said, 
if you two little fuckers ever join the military, I'm disowning both of you. Yeah. So, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Talk to the kids of the parents who were in World War II mm-hmm. and see how like well adjusted their parents were when they came back to the war. Well, they're... this wasn't World War II, and I this know. wasn't a war movie. It's about a guy who is trying to trying to be respected in a position that he's earned, where it's been harder for him than it has been for other people. It's overcoming you know, adversity, and that's what it's about. It's not propaganda. At no point, you don't even see a United States flag. You How know? do we have such a disparate take? <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> like, I was watching a totally different movie, and wow. and I am, like, not a Top Gun fan, right. and I think that is, like, propaganda stuff, where it's like, look how cool it is doing this. This is just, like, this guy has to fly this plane. He's never flown this plane before. He's really scared to do it. He's trying to act tough, but it's a rough plane to, to, to fly. But he's like, I'm going to do it. A guy dies because he can't handle the airplane. They're having to learn it like super quickly. And there is like plane stuff showing them like fly around. Um, but there's only one dogfight. You know, the rest of it is just them practicing, basically. And so it's not like glorifying it or anything. It's just like, here's some guys and some planes. And they even like mention how removed they are from like being in the trenches. Uh, You know, there's like these other people that are on the carrier that they're on and those guys are going to be in the front lines. And they're like, you guys aren't even in the front lines. You know, you guys are just up there in your planes. And you get that, that they're like removed from the more brutal aspects of the war. They're just kind of the help. And so, you know, they do show you like the guys that are down there taking bullets and all that stuff. But they also show you that this is not those guys fight. And so, you know, it does talk about that. The only time that they are seeing that is when the wounded soldiers are coming onto the carrier and they're like, oh, dang, what's it like? You know, they don't know what it's like. They just know what their job is. And so I wouldn't say like I super enjoyed it. It's just like you're just watching, you know, what these people are doing. It, it was fine. <laughs> it was a fine movie. And this is this guy who, um, you know, he did a... He did a remarkable thing, you know, like you see Time Magazine trying to be like, hey, look, there's this black guy and he's like not having it. But right. at the same time, there's the black sailors that are, you know, coming out and watching him and being like all proud of him and stuff or just for being there, you know, and for putting up with all that stuff and still like making his way in that world. It doesn't end well for him, right. <laughs> you know, but that's just how it is. He doesn't even die in some majestic flag waving way. It's just like. There is a problem with his plane. Okay, well, he got shot out of the sky and he blew up. No, he was able to land the plane. He just got stuck. It was super <laughs> you know? cold out. Yeah, and it was cold. <laughs> the conditions and he was were... bloody. Yeah, I mean, I I think I was in a bad mood or something. I'm I'm like a, a just such a complete fucking hippie at this point. Like I cannot stand war. It's fucking horrifying to me. You know. All right, so I didn't catch this flick, Dylan. Break the uh, the the. The t- it's not even a tie. No, break break the conflict here. Was it propaganda or was it not propaganda? I didn't get the propaganda vibe. <laughs> it's not like at some point they're like, hey, you should, we, we have to recruit more people to join this military. It's more like it's, it's post-World War II, right? Right. He says, I just wanted to help, but we were too late, whatever. We're here now. <laughs> I get what you mean by like sending young people out to war and stuff. But I think that that guy just kind of chose to do that because he's like, no one wanted me to be here. <laughs> like, I'm just here now. I don't know. Again, I didn't see it as propaganda or anti anything. I just kind of saw it like, oh, here's a story of a guy that actually lived. I don't know. There, there's more offensive movies that you're talking <laughs> about out there. Oh, yeah. I just didn't get that vibe. That's just a, um, you know, ideological or philosophical approach. But I'm realizing this about myself. That's just my baseline approach. I don't want to see, I mean, fucking whatever. If it's G.I. Joe, you know, if if we're going to war in space and there's fucking snake people, fine. You know, like tell, but that's just it. Tell that fucking story. I'm really glad that you didn't go to the greatest beer run ever or whatever. Like (laughs) you would, you would, oh my God. Because not only was it like excessively long. It started out as like a very pro military thing and then it it kind of turned on it. So you might've liked the ending. Anyway. And in terms of just a movie, I felt it was kind of like boring. I mean, I it's a it's a little bit boring, but that's that's a drama. Yeah, I know. Or this is something kind of for boring. Like older older men. 
right? I mean, the ticket tearing guy was an old man, and he was like, "That's a good one." (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that impression was awesome. (laughs) It's like, why would you even make films? It's because you're telling stories about people, and this is a person, and they made a movie about it, and it was fine. (laughs) All right, I'm being weird about it. Is what I'm getting. You're being weird. Okay. (laughs) Anyways, I hated this fucking movie. I don't like it. Uh, Do we give it? Do we? Are we enlisting or are we dropping out? I'm dropping out. I'm a. I'm a conscientious objector. Justine, are you enlisting or are you a conscientious objector? I think the movie was fine and Jonathan Majors is great, so he's good. Which one's Jonathan Jonathan Majors? The the main guy. Oh, Kang. Huh? Oh, okay. not not Kang yet. We don't oh, know. He's sorry. Yeah, he's no <laughs> yeah. His face on the poster. We don't <laughs> yeah. know if that's Kang. He's also don't gonna, know. He's also gonna fight Michael B. Jordan. <laughs> yeah, it was well acted. I'm not. I mean, it was fine. It was fine. It was fine. It was fine. Thought it was shot well. It looked good, <laughs> and I think it was greatly acted. Five out of five. How, how was it directed? Directed okay. No, directed well. Nice. Yeah. Nice. You know the director did uh, uh, our my favorite horror show of all time, two sentence horror stories. Watch oh, nice. that. It's great. Yeah. These are two episodes, so he's a legend. Yes. All right. Hey Brent. Yeah. Yeah, you breaking That's news? So aggressive. <laughs> yes, I do. In fact, have breaking news. The uh, we've we've been covering the mess at Warner Brothers Discovery in DC. It continues on. Uh, it was revealed earlier in the week that Wonder Woman 3 was scrapped. It's since been reported that it was actually director Patty Jenkins who walked away after rejecting notes that the studio gave her on her treatment for the film. Did you guys hear about this? No. I did not. Did she yeah. do one and two? Uh, yes, she did. Mm. So, uh, yeah, I would think after you turned in 1984. Yeah. You're getting some fucking notes. Yeah. I got some fucking notes for you, Patty. <laughs> One, you were good. Two, well, one, you were good till that fucking the PlayStation Two fight. But whatever, Patty Jenkins, and you shit the bed on two in a big way. So it sounded like yeah, like it maybe could have stayed on the docket, but because she just said no, I'm not gonna take any notes on this and walked. They're like, all right, fine, bye, Wonder Woman. (laughs) But you know, Gal Gadot is the star of that show. She really does a good job as that character. I don't think the directing is particularly. I mean, you know, uh, respect to what she did with the first movie, at least. Like, that was great, especially compared to everything else in that DC world up until then. But get a different director. Why is it so fucking... It's almost like it's really chaotic over there. Yeah, I don't know why why this is the one movie that's, like, bigger than... The director is bigger than the character. They I have don't to, know at this point was what they're canceling left and right. They're like, if this isn't exactly what we're talking about, yeah, just, just get rid of yeah, it. Yeah, to use your phrase, if this isn't on rails, we don't need it. <laughs> we're we selling need. toys here. Like, what do we give a shit about? Yeah. Um, to, to keep with the chaos, after reinstating Henry Cavill as Superman, all plans for more Man of Steel films have been shelved. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom... Uh, is now going to be the last installment in the Jason Momoa as Aquaman era of, right. of that because he is going to be recast as Lobo. Did you hear about that? What the f- so he's stuck in the DCEU? But- yeah, they can't in- find another buff guy. It's like a Lobo's <laughs> whole thing is just a parody of an action hero. Put fucking Vin Diesel as Lobo. Put fucking anybody as Lobo. You just need a, a strong, dumb guy. Why are they fucking... He's got well, a they- slot already. He's already... Taken. Yeah. They messed up. They messed up. They should just put someone else's Aquaman and made him like Aquaman. Made Aquaman like Aquaman so they could save Momoa for Lobo. Yeah, or make put Lobo in earlier or something. I don't know. They, it's like things are really chaotic over there. <laughs> it's almost like it's a mess because Black Adam too has been shelved in spite of Dwayne Johnson leading a very weird online campaign this past week where he's trying to push the narrative that it was happening and taking an. I, I would say he took like a like a stop the steal approach (laughs) where he's like trying to maintain that like the The box office numbers. So he's trying to like will it into existence. The studio said, no, we're not doing black Adam too, because every expert is saying you're probably gonna lose at least a hundred million dollars on this movie. Jesus. Really? Yeah. Everybody is saying that, but except Dwayne, Dwayne Mm -hmm. is online being like, no, you understand how box office receipts work. He's telling the experts. this. (laughs) I think I'm saying that it's making money. I'm going to, I'm on his side on this one. That was such a crowd pleaser. You'd think that would be, 
That sucks when you make a movie like really dumb and it still doesn't work. <laughs> well, <laughs> you know, it's so funny. Like he he like he went into all caps angry. Like yeah. you know, over this past week, he said this is going to profit all caps fifty two to seventy two million dollars. That's his estimate based on nothing. Jeez. The experts again are saying at least a hundred million dollar loss after you factor in all the marketing. And all the expenditures. Maybe he's profiting seventy-two million. <laughs> Maybe oh, that's what he's confused with. Yeah, that, that you, could be. Did you take into account the Under Armour deal that I made? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm doing great. <laughs> but you'll be pleased to know that they are considering a Hawkman spinoff. I'm fu- oh. I'll fuck with that. I, I don't. I don't mind these movies. I and I think that the casting, Superman and Wonder Woman, was good casting. Yeah, they're both so. good. Yeah. They have not given them a good script yet. No, that's... no. Wonder Woman was Wonder Woman was like as good as you could hope for. But man, that second movie was fucking boring. It was <laughs> confused. It felt really different. That's why I was asking if she yeah. did the first two because it's like this seems like it can't have been the same person, right? You remember that shit? That was like supposed to be such a ray of joy. Yeah. I am, I am offended. <laughs> you were talking about being offended. By that like, was gonna I kill COVID. It was gonna COVID. Yeah. Like, okay, yeah. guys. It's Christmas Eve. This whole yeah. new like blockbusters are coming straight to streaming. This is an early adopter to it. Everyone huddle around. We're watching Wonder Woman two, and it's in the eighties. This is fucking Kristen Wiig is in this. This yeah. is gonna rock. Yeah. And it was like. <laughs> when did you have to admit to yourself that this was a bad movie you oh, were watching? Oh, in the beginning when she's just running around through <laughs> like an obstacle course. Oh, God, I forgot about the... I thought it opened at the mall. The mall scene was cool. And it didn't yeah. start with the mall. It started with, no, it started with the, the her doing course, a, yeah. a, a Superman 64. Yeah, in, <laughs> yeah. in, in 64 flying obstacle mm-hmm. uh, uh, race type beat. Yes. The whole first like 20 minutes. Oh, my God. Yeah, it let you know right away. And then... I can't even talk about the the scene where she's uh saving a little girl. Oh my god! Where the building blows up. Yeah, so, if you, this seems like more of this movie stuck with you than it did with me because this was like an yeah, etch a sketch. Like I watched this film, it was just like <laughs> gone. But we like Gal Gadot Wonder Woman, right? Yeah, she's yeah. funny and yeah. she yeah she does a good job. She tried. She tried hard. <laughs> yeah, well, I feel bad for these act. Like you know, let them, let them. she had a bad month. Wasn't that the same month where she tried to do that Imagine cover? Ooh. Yeah, that was rough too. I mean, at least that was a ensemble cast. Anyway, <laughs> uh, Warner Brothers Discovery DC still on fire. Dylan, take us on out. Hey guys, thank you for listening to this week's episode of Regal Movie Masters Unlimited. Unlimited. Join us next week when we watch Avatar Two: Waterworld and strange world two worlds collide in the disney universe who knows what's gonna happen next anyway see you in the theaters bye